What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being with us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV, the go-to baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're a coach and you're listening to this, then I know you want to get better, and Stick and Ball is perfect for you. With weekly videos from some of the best coaches in the country for softball and baseball, Stick and Ball is a no-brainer. Check it out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile app. Today's show, we have on Caleb Longley, CEO and creator of Marv Bands and former Arizona State Director of Hitting Development and current free agent. Caleb is a former East Tennessee standout and high-performance training coach who recently finished his second season with the Sun Devil Baseball staff as the Director of Hitting Development and Analytics. In his role, Longley worked closely with the Sun Devil staff in film and analytical review to help the staff create detailed planning and training regimens to help with the development of student-athletes. In 2021, ASU had the youngest offense in the country, and despite that, ASU was a top 50 team in the nation this season in batting average, total hits, doubles, and slugging percentage. The club also hit 61 total home runs, despite ASU having just 16 home runs in the first 23 games of the year. In 2020, they had four draft picks in the shortened 2020 season, including the first overall pick, Spencer Torkelson. Longley is also the creator and CEO of Marv Training, a unique multi-dimensional training tool focused on hitting and arm care routines that is used across numerous sports across the world, including MLB, NBA, NFL, and numerous NCAA Division I sports. On the show, we go all in on how he and the staff trained hitters at Arizona State, which in short was one of the best in the country over the last few years. Here's my conversation with Caleb Longley. Caleb, welcome to the show. Job, I appreciate you having me, man. Of course, of course. I, I loved being able to develop a relationship with you the last couple of years. And I know that that at Arizona State, you guys put up some just historic, just stupid numbers. And I'm really excited because today you've got some videos, you've got schedules, you've got everything outlining really what you guys did and the process that you went through to develop hitters at Arizona State. Uh, and so I, I just let's let's go and dig in right now because I'm really excited and I, I want to learn from you and, and what you and and Mike had done. But uh, you said you wanted to start with the schedule just to kind of give an outline of what time or how much time you guys had to work with. And so if I will share the screen with you here and uh, let you roll with it. So everybody throughout college baseball thinks that's not in college baseball thinks we've got so much time to work with these guys. And in reality, it's not as much development time as you would think. It's not like pro ball where you can throw a couple hundred at bats at these guys and just hope they figure it out. We've got a small timetable and we've got to go in ready to win and compete for a championship in the spring. So in the fall, you get a small window of individual practice before you start the official fall practice. And as hitting coaches, we don't normally dictate the schedule. That normally goes to the pitching coach because um, he's got to do what's best for the program arm-wise. You know, get make sure guys are ready to go for the spring, make sure they're on-ramped right, and make sure they're recovering from the previous season or summer ball. So you have that small window of individual practice, and offensively that looks like somewhere – around two hours a week. 
And then from there, you go into your six weeks of golf practice. And then you get another small window of that individual time before winter break. And different programs structure it different ways, but we try to get a little bit of individual time before and after that official practice period. And then roughly 10 days when the guys get back on campus um, of individual time to kind of get back in the swing of things. And then three weeks of official practice before the first game. And then you're off and running. So officially for the fall, um, one thing that Mike was great at um, and one of the big things I took away from him was you first have to build a relationship with the guys. Um, you got to earn their trust, open a line of communication with them. And I've learned that it doesn't matter if you have all the knowledge and you know you can make these guys an All-American with your coaching style or whatever if you don't build that relationship and earn their trust first, it doesn't really matter what you know. And on the flip side, it doesn't matter if you do have the knowledge, but if you earn that trust, build the relationship, you're going to be in a lot better spot um, just building that player's confidence. And uh, another thing we want to do in the fall is kind of expose guys to our practice routine and even impress them a little bit with how we train and how we are trying to get them ready for the spring season. So a lot of these guys coming from high school um, haven't experienced the pitching um, that we're going to see in the Pac-12 or other big conferences. So we want to expose these guys and impress them a little bit with how we do train to kind of stimulate them and help develop them um, coming into the program. So let me uh, ask you this too. What was – what was like the the uh, the few things that the high school players coming in that really that what was the biggest adjustment that that they had to make uh, again that i i mean that in as far as like what can we as high school coaches do within our circle of control to help them to become uh, more prepared for that setting because i i'm thinking maybe you might have guys that have never seen like high velo machines or mm-hmm. have been able to develop their own routines and you know, and, and these are things that, that we try and think about uh, consistently because you, you think about guys that are really good. They usually have, they're like, hey, I do six of this, a T-work, and then I go into front flips, and then I go to this. And then guys that are marginal, uh, and I, you guys wouldn't be getting those guys anyways. But I'm just curious what what was really that learning curve for them besides like falling in line and, and learning uh, the the routines and, and, and the way that you guys practice. But was there anything that comes to mind? So it's really the guys haven't failed that much, whether it's in game or especially in practice. They haven't gotten used to taking a BP set where you're not hitting 80% of the balls, you know, squared up in them straight. And it's really getting them used to it's okay to fail in practice a little bit because we're, we're getting better for the game. And then once we get into those fall games, um, you can tell that early on guys are trying to do a little too much and they're experiencing a little bit of failure that they haven't experienced in the past. So just, I would say experiencing the failure mental standpoint in the game, um, but also in practice as well. So going from there, what was, what was kind of your, your next step? So you get there, you develop relationships with them. You, you're learning what makes them tick. You're trying to earn their trust and, and get, you know, cause that's a big deal. They, they've been very, very successful uh, throughout 
uh, their entire career, which is why you guys got your hands on them. But what was kind of the next step after really uh, going into that? So we wanted the guys to develop a little bit of independence, develop some ownership of their routine, how they go about things, because we don't have, as you saw with the timeline, we're on an hour's limit. We don't have as much time with them as people think. So we can set them up. We can give these guys the right prescriptions or whatever, but they have to take independence of their own career. Mike has a saying, those who hit often, hit often. And we've seen in our program, the guys that are normally hitting the most, normally hit the most in the game. And just having the guys understand that in order to be really good at this level, it's going to take some work outside of practice. And so we want to build that environment early in the fall. So going back to that individual time, um, like I said, you, you get roughly two hours a week with them and you've really got to be efficient with how you spend your time. Um, but you also want to get to know your players and you want to get to know where they came from, their verbiage about hitting. You want to know stuff they've done in the past, good feelings, bad feelings, help them form a routine. And I'll get in a little bit more in depth with kind of how we structure our routines um, here in a couple slides, but kind of in it, there's a lot that goes into it, stuff they're comfortable with and stuff that makes them feel comfortable while also us adding in a couple drills, kind of tricking them, molding in them to what we see in the future. Um, and then with your returning guys, that's when it gets really fun. So you had a whole season of watching them. Maybe you couldn't make, huge adjustments in the season guys you know that are going to be a staple in the lineup that's a time where you can really add some stuff in early on in the fall in that individual time where you can build something in and then they can go get 50 at bats or so in the fall and acquire that movement pattern or whatever it may be under their belt and then it goes back to slowly exposing the guys to the unique ways we train ways to stimulate them um, that some days it's going to be feel good BP where they are going to be barreling up 75 plus percent of the balls. But oftentimes it's going to be stuff that's going to expose them a little bit and get them used to Pac-12 pitching. And uh, we will want to analyze video in the both random and controlled environments. So what I mean by that is we want to analyze video of guys hitting flips, guys hitting normal BP, but we'll also want to analyze the video of when we put them in that high uh, competitive environment. So what happens when they're hitting high below, how things match up. And early on, it's, it's hard with new guys. Like I said, you got to build that relationship first. You got to build that trust. You don't want to throw too much at them before they face live pitching. Um, you kind of want to let things work itself out. And that's something I've learned from Mike early. Um, <laughs> that's big. I remember when I first came into ASU, I was wanting to change guys really quick. Like I, I'm looking at him. I'm like, I know that won't work in the game. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know that. But we've got to give them time. And he said, I want this guy to come to me. That way he'll be more willing to make this change. And sure enough, we went out for an inner squad. Guy goes over three, couple punch outs, came up to Mike, was more willing to make the change rather than if Mike would have went to him before practice, had him make the change, then he struggles. 
then he doesn't want to shift. So just learning kind of the psyche behind everything is, is huge, especially with these younger guys. And then talking about fall practice. So after we have our little bit of individual time, you go straight into fall practice. And that's, that's the point of the year when college coaches around the country will tell you they really want to teach the game. A lot of these guys now are coming from more of a showcase environment, um, especially now more than ever, where it's you're not really running the – you're not really playing the game necessarily to win, more of a showcase opportunity. And that's just a time where we can step in, kind of teach the game from the grassroots, how to get a lead, um, different things that we can do understand kind of what pitchers are trying to do to us at this level. It's not just a guy trying to strike you out and you trying to hit a home run for scouts and college recruiters. It's guys are playing to win the game now. And just the more guys understand that, the farther along they'll be in the spring. Um, one thing we want to hammer early is pitch recognition. So that's when we'll have guys – of course, the live ABs, we'll have guys staying in for bullpens, just kind of speeding them up to get ready for that pack of pitching, whatever we can do. Um, of course, we want to prepare guys for live ABs. We've got to get, um, we've got, we've got to get guys timing down. We've got to get their vision right. Um, and then once those live at bats happen, that's when we want to take a step back, get the guys up in the video room and kind of review the live at bats. And I'm not just talking all mechanics, a lot of its approach. What was the pitcher trying to do right here in this situation? What were you trying to do in this situation? And then after we've developed that trust, now we go into what you're doing is really good. It was great in high school, but we think it can be better. Um, and, you know, this weekend in the this year in the pack, we seems like we saw a guy, a starter every weekend that was over 95 with multiple pitches. And we've got to be able to be the best we can be and give ourselves the best chance in order to succeed. And so we'll bring guys in, we have, we'll have them up, and we'll show them the evolution of some of our top players in the past. And I've got a video of what that looks like. So what we'll have here is just videos of guys when they first got to campus as freshmen or early on in their careers and guys by the time they were juniors in the program. And we'll have the uh, we'll have the pitch speed at the bottom and then we'll have the zones. So you just want to, when you're talking zones, these are based on a catcher's perspective. One through nine with one being um, up and inside to a right-handed hitter and nine being low and away to a right-handed hitter. So first we have Torkelson, as good as he was. He made some great strides in his career. Hunter Bishop. Trevor Hover, who's just got um, minor league uh, player of the month in April. Or in May, I should say, Gage Workman. So the main thing we want to get across by showing the guys this is that hitting's a process. We're not going to figure it out overnight. There's a lot that goes into it. 
And even though you might be one of the highest ranked players coming out of high school, you can still get a lot better. And it also helps that these guys sign for high dollar amounts. And that's also intriguing that if you get this much better, then you could make more money come your junior year. So after that fall segment, um, guys will come back, like I said, roughly 10 days of individual practice and then three weeks of spring practice. And that spring practice is mostly a lot of games. Um, you're going over some stuff from the fall, but it's mainly we're, we're trying to get get our timing down, get guys at bats. You hear in the big leagues, there's a reason why guys go to spring training. There's a reason why guys who are hurt in spring training have to do a minor league rehab assignment because it takes a little time to get your timing down. Um, so that's something we want to try to get ahead of. And we want to do everything we can to help guys get their vision back and get their timing down. Um, and that starts with being challenged and stimulated by practice. And, of course, as the season gets going, we want to build confidence in the guys as much as possible. So, this, the, yeah, and I think this next this next uh, thing that we're going to talk about is really interesting uh, because you're especially in the Pac-12, you're starting to see higher and higher velos, which it's a trickle down effect, too. And I, I think there's more 90 guys in high school. And again, it trickles all the way down to youth, uh, the youth level, just because guys are throwing so much harder. And so uh, and then with the high spin that you guys are seeing, too. And so I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on. So how do you know, and, and you're you're about to uh, get right into that. But I do want to know, how do we how do we combat the the evolving pitching that we're seeing, which is uh, throwing harder with higher spin and more breaking balls, even with guys that are throwing uh, plus plus velo. Here's the thing, man. I mean, you see all the technology on the internet that that these pitchers are using, the rap sodos, the edutronic cameras, the pitch design. I mean, these guys have really used technology to their um, benefit. And for a couple of years there, I think on the offensive side, we tried to fight fire with fire. We tried since the technology took them um, strides above, we, we tried to match it. And I, I think that's when we saw the strikeout numbers go up and uh, offensive efficiency went down. And so the way we try to combat the evolving pitching is, we, number one, we try to put guys in better positions for more consistent success, movement patterns, improving efficiency, and, of course, we want guys hitting with power, but we also want complete hitters. Um, we want to improve adjustability. And speaking on adjustability, there's – now we're seeing it at the college level more and more, and we check synergy for this, trying to find tendencies in pitchers. But guys are throwing more off-speed pitches than they ever have. So you've got to be able to adjust. Um, and it's, it's really hard – especially against a good starting pitcher to sit just one pitch and only look for that one pitch. You've got to really be able to adjust. And, um, and that's something we train. Um, we, we want to put guys in game-like situations and practice as much as possible. So, so when you say, uh, when you say train efficiency while we're, while we're talking about it too. Sure. So, 
again, you, you can get away with, with some of that stuff when you're a great athlete and you're compensating versus, you know, guys that you're not seeing 95 every day, like you do in the pac 12. Mm -hmm. And so is there anything with high school hitters that are moving uh, to you guys? I, and I'm sure you guys recruit some of the players that fit your mold of what you guys are looking for, but is there anything that you're start you see a lot of high school hitters that you have to coach them out of and, and, this isn't like mental approach because I'm sure you guys are teaching that and game planning, which I'm sure you guys and then putting them in that. But I, I'm talking more of just swing flaws or uh, understanding timing, anything that has to do with with, again, the mental does affect the physical. But talking about the physical uh, efficiency of the swing. Yeah, there's there's not many guys that come in the program that are 100 percent ready to step up, ready to go. Then there's always little tweaks that that we find with guys and ways that we can make them better. Um, we, we see a lot of guys that um, have some swings that can get away with some stuff in high school and that, that won't play in the pack whenever you face better pitching. And that's something we want to try to get ahead of um, as early as possible. And a lot of it is just improving their movement pattern. And um, it's, it's a, it's a process with guys and we know it's not overnight. And as, as we've talked about with the time constraints that we do have with guys, um, we have to really focus on the next step, um, what we should do first. And that kind of leads me into my next point too. Um, we handle a lot of that in our routine with guys. Um, that's, that's the time we really concentrate on movements. We're in a controlled environment, off the tee, flips, overhand. Um, and that's when we really want to improve efficiency, um, which basically in a nutshell for us means getting as most power as you can with the least amount of effort. Um, and our routine, I mean, it's not, we don't have anything on paper. It's not three sets of six. Everything's extremely individual. Um, for example, we will do some movement prep with the Marv bands, of course. We've got some guys that will do one movement for a set of 10. We've got other guys that will do all four movements. We've got some guys that don't do any movements at all. So it is a, it's something that it's always evolving with guys. We'll add in new drills whenever we see the need fit. Um, but it's, it's something that we give the player a little bit of ownership for it. And they know if there's a certain pitch in the game, if, if we look at their cold and hot zones, if there's a certain pitch they're struggling with, we'll add in a drill, um, that could help fix that. And a lot of times it's us adding stuff in, um, in that practice environment where I don't want to say we're almost tricking the guys, but we're building in a movement pattern without them having to focus on it. And then so once they build that movement pattern in, now when we take it to a little bit more challenging environment, we'll reference that feel that they had from that drill. And that's when we normally see um, a swing change and them able to translate from the cage to the game is once they capture that feel, from the drill that we've put in their routine, now they're able to take it um, under the lights and in the game. I love that. And so you're basically, you're training 
swing solutions to the pitch problems that they're seeing. That's exactly right. And it's, it's not, a, it's not a long process. It's, it's a 15 to 20 minute every day, but we want, we want to block off a certain period of practice where everybody has a chance at, I don't want to say just working on swings, but they're working in a, in a closed environment where they don't have to worry about catching up to the machine throwing 95. They can really concentrate on their movements. Um, so that's, that's something that um, Mike had the guys do, and I've really been able to help expand adding in those certain drills that will help translate to the field without guys having to focus so much on mechanics. And then going back a slide here, um, one of the main things that we want to do is train the guys in game-like environments. So after we go through our routine, the guys hammer down their swings. They're feeling good. They're feeling confident. Um, we want to put them in game-like environments. And one of the easiest ways to do that, we've had the luxury of doing it with several pitching machines. Um, there's some certain things that we can do that will mimic how the pitchers are trying to get us out. So the number one problem with pitching machines is spin rate is kind of all over the place. If you look at the machine, look at the dials, you'll see that what's listed on the machine is probably not the most game-like. So if, if you just put it on, I think a 90 mile per hour fastball on the machine, the spin's like 3,300. And it's almost like a rise ball coming in. So we have a spin rate um, radar gun so we can adjust the machine accordingly and not only for fastballs but also for off speed um, release point height and angle is very important we never have the machine straight on it's always either coming from a right-handed release point or left-handed we have the um, extended legs for taller guys with with more of a downhill angle and we also will put it on the shorter legs, um, either in the cage or on the machine, or excuse me, on the field to replicate that vertical approach angle. So we want the ball almost to feel like it's staying on plane the whole time, which is what these pitchers who are trying to work up in the zone, so everybody's moving to to get more of a swing and miss. So we'll even at times take the junior hack, put it on the fielding wheels, and have it shooting at almost an up angle. And is it coming at an up, up angle? No, but it's getting the guys prepared. Now when we see a closer throwing 93 with a really high spin rate and vertical approach angle, we can say, guys, this is just like hitting that low machine in the cage. And they can remember the adjustments that they made in the cage and bring those straight to the game. And then even taking this step farther, the horizontal um, angle that the ball's coming in, we train that. We'll take uh, two machines, right-hander, left-hander, and uh, we can work movement that way. And then the big thing that we like to do, going back to pitchers are throwing more off-speed than ever, we want to have a machine or a setup that can throw multiple pitches at one time where you can be sitting on a fastball but still be able to adjust to off speed. And, of course, we want to mimic pitch shape and proper movement with the machines 
just okay. to make sure we're ready for sinker guys. So before before you get into uh, into the videos on the next slide, uh, a couple questions, a couple additions on for the guys that don't have a spin rate machine. I think the the easiest way to do it is to get because the like that on the hacks with the three wheels. I think it's like six six eight for eighty eight or whatever, but that's like the the or six six ten uh, with the two wheels on the sides uh, that are lower. So getting those closer together, like grouping them in like six six seven, is a is an easier way to be able to just accurate like a, a better more hand, like I don't know off the top of my head what that is. It's, I'm sure it's it's over two thousand, but it's a similar spin rate to what you're going to see in a game if you don't have a spin rate. So for those those people that are listening who don't have any any sort of tech. Just getting the top two wheels and the bottom wheel closer together without them knuckling is about uh, as close as you can get to like a, especially for a high school, high school fastball. And then the second thing for the multiple pitches that you're talking about, are you talking about like the two headed monster machines right next to each other where you're feeding one or the other, or you guys uh, actually have a machine that sets it up to be able to, to do both? So we didn't have an e-hack. That's something that we definitely wanted. Um, so we would do, um, instead of two different machines side by side, we would do one on top of the other. So we would do one on the normal legs and one on the extended legs. So guys are kind of getting that same release point, the ball coming out of the same tunnel. Gotcha. I'm sure you're about to show us a video of that. So I'm looking forward to yeah. it. So now we're getting into the good stuff here. Let's see. Cool. So this first video here um we're working horizontal movement and a lot of people think this is an offset machine and that is what we call it um, at times but the release point really isn't too far outside of an, a very extended left-handed pitcher a very extended right-handed pitcher okay. and this particular day the machines were on the low legs so i assume that we were facing a guy with a pretty solid vertical approach angle so we wanted the ball coming in a little bit flatter instead mm -hmm. of more on a downhill plane. Okay. And a, a lot of people don't think about this, but this drill is really huge for keeping posture and how you set up. So you'll see um, in this drill when he's doing the left-handed machine, he'll start a little bit more open to kind of mimic when he's facing a left-handed pitcher. And cool. what that's doing is getting him on the proper pitch line. You've got a lefty hitter too here, just for the guys that are listening. So they're opening up just to be able to see it with like both eyes a little bit better because it's offset to the left side of the rope. So like Chris Sale, like you've got a lefty hitter facing Chris Sale right now. Exactly. So we'll want the we'll want the guys to open up a little bit because if you think about it, of course the goal is to stay through every pitch. And if you're starting close and the ball's coming in from almost where it feels like behind you, then you're, you have a small window um, to actually square the ball up. So you just want to give yourself as much of a chance to stay in the zone as long as possible. And the zone is the ball that is the pitch line that the ball is coming in on. So one more time, I'll show the video here. Sure. See, it opens up just a little bit more for that pit. I love that. So it's also a mechanical thing. And we've got one or two guys that have this actually in their routine. Drew Swift being one of them um, was a guy that, that wants to roll in a lot. So he will actually add this drill in his 
routine just to kind of reinforce um, staying on the proper line against a right-hander. And we'll also have guys add this in their routine off flips. So same idea. They're going to set their orientation and posture um, like it was coming from an actual mound, and then the ball will be coming in at an angle, and it's the same type deal, but with a little bit more controlled environment. All right, so this is the uh, this is the one that everyone talks about, and I think we went viral on Twitter for this one. So this is from a right-handed perspective, kind of what the machine looks like. So this particular day, we had a fastball. I'm go back here. We had a fastball on this particular day on the low machine. So again, we were probably facing a guy that had a pretty solid spin rate vertical approach angle, and on the top one, we had a 12-6 curve. I think this was Bybee from um, Fullerton that we were getting ready for that, that particular day. And then this is what it looks like in a live setting. And then we also do it with the junior hacks. And this is a way to really work on that pitch up in the zone that all these pitchers are trying to throw, high spin, good vertical approach. It's almost like the, the pitch, as you see here, is coming from um, a low angle. I love that. So with, with the timing off of the machines, too, is there is there a way that you communicate that for guys who, quote, unquote, don't hit off of machines well or haven't been exposed to it a ton? So that's something we try to ease them into in the fall. Um, we try to set that precedent and then on my next slide here, this is kind of how we describe kind of what we want to do in that drill. So over here on the left, you see right-handed hitter's perspective. And for those who um, are listening, basically what it is, it's a diagram of the field and it shows windows of timing. So for the fastball, we've got the window of timing on the pitch line um, from a right-handed pitcher all the way out to the left center gap all the way to the right center field gap. So basically, this is something we've all talked about. If you're, you're the old time, the old school coaches saying, stay on it, stay on the fastball to right center. You can hit everything. This is just that on paper. Um, basically, you're wanting to drive the fastball to the middle of the field. Um, and then if you're on the fastball, you're able to ride a little bit and adjust. You should be able to keep your bat speed up and pull the slider and the change up. Um, to the pull side. And for those who can't see at home, the slider is from left center to about the left fielder. And the timing window for the changeup is from left center all the way to the foul line. So basically what we're getting at there is we want guys on off-speed pitches to keep their bat speed up. And we would rather see them hook a ball down the line than slow their bat speed down and flare one to the opposite field, if that makes sense. And then it would be the exact opposite for the left-handed hitter. Left center to right center for the fastball. Um, the slider, we want guys to pull it. Um, more um, right center gap all the way to the right fielder. And then for the changeup, which is what those lefties get a lot from right-handed pitchers, we're working from the right fielder over to the foul line. And we would rather see guys, I'll take it even a step further, 
foul a pitch off hard down the line with their bat speed up as opposed to slow their bat speed down and fly out to the middle of the field. And then going back, uh, going back one slide here. After saying that, let's let's watch the the adjustments these guys make and kind of how their timing windows are set up in order to be on the fastball but still be able to adjust. So that was actually an off-speed pitch. Jay would hit to the pull side gap, fastball went to the opposite field gap. Fastball here is working middle of the field. Then off-speed pitch here. He's still working middle of the field, which is good. And then this last hitter here, um, the guy I'm really proud of this season, but he was, uh, well, hold on. This is kind of the idea behind being adjustable with this drill. So you'll see him. He's he's out on his front side a little bit, but he, is, he has it spun off the pitch. He's able to ride through it. Um, and this guy, the last 14 games of the year, hit uh, hit eight or nine home runs, and uh, really, really had a great second half. And sure. I think half of those home runs were on off-speed pitches, where he was in situations just like this, but he was able to ride long enough and keep his bat in the zone, keep his bat speed up, where he was able to hit some extremely long home runs to the full side. Was this a uh, <clears throat> judging by the by the uh, the I, I think you said it was a slider or a curveball. Was that uh, drill in particular the mixed? Or uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is one of the things that I, I think that when you train just the curveball or slider in training, then they have a ten- tendency to sit on it rather than adjusting to it, which is what we're going to do 90% of the time. Uh, and so I would love to hear, was, well, one, was it was it a two machine, which he did a great adjustment there staying through it, or if it's not, how do you teach guys to go early or get that fastball timing with the curveball machine? A hundred percent. So that was a two machine, and that's exactly what we want. We don't want guys to cheat it. You know, we don't want guys to sit on the slider necessarily um, and force the ball to the opposite field gap. If guys want to anticipate slider, that's fine. Anticipate the shape, but I want guys to keep that fastball timing, and when they do get that slider to pull it to the pull side gap with a little authority. Um, something that's Perfect. a lot of other people wouldn't agree with is, um, and I know a lot when I was young coming up, the idea was to hit the ball where it's pitched. And I would say now that's one of the biggest adjustments we have to make as offensive coaches is these guys on the mound are getting too good. And the difference between their speeds is getting so broad that, you're not able to hit the ball where it's pitched anymore. You know, the plate's only 17 inches wide. You can hit an inside pitch out to right center to center, and you can pull a pitch on the outside corner to left center or even left and be able to stay through it. And it's more about timing and pitch speed dictating what field um, you hit the ball to and less about the part of the plate that the pitch is over. Cool. And um, just for the people listening at home, one of the things we do when we set this up, normally the first round we'll go three fastballs, three off speed. They know what is coming. Um, Again, when they're hitting off speed, we still want them keeping that fastball timing. 
Then we'll go into a serial sequence where it'll be fastball, off-speed, fastball, off-speed, where they know what's coming, but the timing's changing every pitch. Then we get into random. And that's where the guys don't know what's coming. And so um, the evolution of that throughout the year and just watching how much better guys got at it. We were able to do the drill at 95 miles an hour on the fastball, 2,400 spin, and then we were able to drop a 78-mile-an-hour curveball in there, and guys were still able to have success. So um, they came a long way, especially this young group that we had this past year of if we'd have done that out in the fall, we'd have guys quitting, and <laughs> it, it wouldn't have been good. But the evolution of, of the guys' development, they were able to succeed and um, got to where they could handle that machine for sure. And this is just a in-game um, timing window that that we just mentioned. Um, you'll see Torkelson here gets the slider, home run to left. Um, then we got the side view here. You see how he's out in front, adjustable, is able to scissor through. And then we got a fastball outside, actually, um, that he drives to the middle of the field, home run to center. And then we've got another fastball that he's able to drive to the opposite field. So it just shows timing windows. And that last, I didn't, I didn't make a slide for this, but that last home run he hits there um, was with two strikes. And it shows how he was able to move his timing windows over when he was anticipating off speed. And of course, Torque in the short season last year didn't get pitched too much, and he definitely didn't get many fastballs. So he was still on fastball timing, but he was on fastball timing to hit to the opposite field, where instead of just having the left center gap over to the line to work with for off speed, he had right center to work with for off speed, center to work with for off speed, and left field. So he just adjusted those timing windows we were talking about over but was still able to drive the ball out of the park um, and adjust. And then so people would argue if you're in that um, timing window where you're working the fastball to the middle of the field more, then teams can beat you in. So this is a drill that we also have in practice normally on the same days that we'll do the two machine um, where it is a where it's a hard fastball, extremely inside. Mm. And the goal is we want guys to stay through it and hit a home run to left center or drive doubles to left center and not hook it. And mm -hmm. a little touch we've added on here, we're actually using the ATEC softballs, not the not regular baseballs, not dimple balls, the foam balls, where okay. guys aren't scared to get jammed. And so I'll see a lot that. of that's a great idea. See, and that's, that's just an idea I came up with. I've seen so many guys do this drill and they're scared to get jammed. So they rush the barrel to the ball, end up in a ground ball to the pool side. So we implemented the foam ball. And you, you can see Ethan Long here, freshman All-American. Um, at this first pitch, he hooks down the line. Um, probably still a hit, but he makes the adjustment on the second pitch. Is able to stay three more and hit what would be a home run to just almost dead center, just left of the 400 sign. One more time, and then you, you see how far this, he's actually over the line a little bit, over-exaggerating the 
um, the pitch, how he's able to work through. I love that. I'm still that one. And then, so this is one, and Mike does a great job with this, but in season, um, a lot of how we work is we want the guys to feel prepared, right? So whoever we're seeing early, we want to make sure, like we said, that we've, we've done the tunnel, that we've done the vertical approach angle drill, that we've worked on horizontal movement, that we've worked on the tall machines for downhill guys, that we've added in some horizontal movement for sinker guys. And then towards the end of the year, once you've kind of seen everything and guys know the adjustments they have to make for those specific drills and you want to have a feel-good day, um, instead of just doing a regular BP set, we would do a extended leg machine, um, spin rate right around 2,000, 82 to 83 miles an hour, nothing crazy, um, a solid BP. Um, and it actually works great in the fact that guys don't have to supply a lot of effort in order to hit home runs. So they can still take a low effort swing and they're able to drive the ball out of the park and it stimulates them just enough where, like you saw in that swing right there, where if you're not hundred percent locked in, um, you're not going to square it, but it's, it's just easy enough where they're able to build some confidence, drive the ball out of the yard pretty consistently. Um, and it's a good alternative in my opinion to just a regular overhand BP. And you also see in the video, we've got it set up in this case for a left-handed arm um, for that angle. And so we, we use this one towards the end of the year, um, the last probably six weeks to month of the year, and probably wish we would have done it earlier um, in the fall, just as a normal BP set, just that it's where you're, it's stimulating the guys enough where the angle's correct that they're seeing. The spin's pretty close, and the speed's not too far off, but it's easy enough where the guys can really drive the ball and have success with little effort and, and not have to muscle balls out like they would against a 50-mile-an-hour BP arm. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And then, of course, one thing we like to do, um, which we, we uh, got so much better at in the second half of the year this year with this young offense is – pitch recognition you know we it's it's ops that win game that wins games i think in 19 mike had a they were over 900 ops um 20 we would have been well over 900 i think we ended 860 something like that but um we want to be able to get our swing off um at any point in the count but we also want to be very selective with with kind of what we're doing um and we want to be able to walk a lot guys get on base especially in college it does something a little bit different to put pressure on defenses so of course we do live at bats during the week with maybe some guys that didn't get to throw a lot on the weekend um, we do a lot of stand-in bullpens and a little bit um, something we've done a little bit different was we'll hook a mark band up to uh, the fence right behind the hitter and he will actually go through a marv move with the handle um, in sequence so he can kind of feel the backside move trigger the swing against the live pitcher and that's something that we've had a lot of success against with and uh, we'll also kind of have that same idea with using a sawed off or 
a broken bat, just the handle where they can take a realistic swing. And but of course they're not going to um, hit the ball because they're just they just have the handle. So just a couple different ways to simulate it, and that's all a progression. But um, and then we'll also mix it up with a curveball machine where uh, you can simulate runner on third, less than two, a ton of different stuff. And what you'll actually do is set the curveball height um, where it's going to actually land in front of the plate. And then you'll either have a coach or a manager um, control the height with their hand. So you can now make the pitch um, an elevated curveball that they can drive. Or you can lower it back down a little bit where it's going to be on the either the front of the plate, the back of the plate, one of those pitches that starts middle to lower that looks like a strike that ends up a ball. And how much better our guys got at that drill over the course of the year was incredible. And we also saw that translate to the game. Early on, guys chased a lot of pitches. And then as the season went along, guys got more experience got a lot more of these reps under their belt, became a lot more selective and um, a lot better with runner on third, less than two. And then um, kind of a little bit what we do, pregame scouting. Of course, everybody uses Synergy now in college baseball. Um, we, go over the, we go over the VLOs of all the pitches, pitch shape, tendencies, um, of course, what he does to right-handed hitters, what he likes to do to left-handed hitters. We've got a full spreadsheet of what he throws and what counts, looking for any any tendencies. And you'd be surprised that in college baseball you can find a few where, for example, every 1-0 count against a left-hander, it might be a change-up. It's 87% change-ups. So in that situation, we would stay fastball timing, but anticipate the change up shape and drop. And then, um, of course, we're going to show video of the guy. We want to get as many behind the hitter angles as possible, just just to build confidence, um, and then show them the pitch shape as much as possible. And we will try to relate everything we do back to how we practice so guys feel prepared. Um, we'll say, of course, this guy's angle is uh, very downhill. It's like we're doing an offset extended leg machine and now guys know okay i've had success i made this adjustment that one day this is what i've got to do in order to to hit this pitcher and that kind of goes with kind of in-game stuff you know when guys will bring in a closer um, with a solid vertical approach angle um high spin rate we'll say this is like hitting the low machine guys know the adjustments they need to make and then they feel prepared and more confident and then basically how all this works in a home game day routine, um, the hitters will come early, go through their routine, get their confidence up, get their swing feeling good, find their hands, go through all their movements. Um, and then after that, some guys stick around and they'll do a two machine tunnel um, or hit a slider machine, whatever. Then we go through our BP set. And at home, that's the first group's BP base running two defense group in a cage. Then we'll go through, we'll do our video um, and our scouting for for that day starter and maybe their best reliever. And then normally 30 minutes before game time, we'll go through flips. Normally we'll have the tunnel machine still set up, um, the other slider machines. And then a lot of guys before the game, and I know I was a guy that did this, I love to off the iron mic. Just, it was kind of very similar to, um, the 
BP set I showed you. It's it's a solid speed, pretty good spin, but it's just hard enough to stimulate you and arouse you enough for the game where you've seen a little velo. And then away game, day routine. Of course, you go through your video and scouting before we leave the hotel. You go through your BP set. And what's different about our away game BP is we will have our starters go through um, their routine before they hit on the field. So we will get a cage group, and that's when guys go through as much of their routine as possible, maybe a little bit condensed, but they normally get 10 or so minutes um, to go through their routine before they hit BP. And that's all on the slides. Man, that was awesome. Seriously. Uh, I did have a couple of, couple of questions for you, uh, before you go. And uh, again, man, that's, you just, uh, I love the, the Pandora's box that you opened up for us of what you guys have, have done the last couple of games. I was going to ask, uh, before game routines, but you just knocked that out. Uh, but two questions for that with the, with the machines, are you trying to match the speed of the pitcher or are you just saying, Hey, this is going to be firm because again, you're, you're seeing guys 95 plus uh, quite consistently in the pack 12. Are you setting the machine at 95 or are you just setting it at like firm 88 and we're just going to see speed? So if we had a day, which we didn't have that many midweeks this year because of COVID, but let's say we had three days to prepare for a good Friday night arm. The first day, let's say the pitcher through 98 or let's say 95. And, um, so the first day we would hit around probably 91 to 92 on the fastball. We would we'd have the break, the breaking ball, feed through a 78 mile an hour breaking ball with 2,800 spin. We would have the breaking ball set on um, probably 79 at 2,400 spin. And then day two, we would really ramp up. So day two, we would take the machine up to probably 97, 98 on the fastball. Um, a little bit harder than we're going to see. And we're going to take the breaking ball up to probably 3,000 spin rate. So it's really sharp. So we're going to go a little bit over and above what we would normally see. And then the day before the game, if we weren't on the road, we would go back to exactly what we're going to see and just seeing how much better the guys get over the three days, they leave the last day feeling confident, knowing that's exactly what they're going to see the next day. And I keep going back to it, but so much of this game is confidence and guys believing they're good. And I'm of the group that I think that comes from a lot of preparation. And I, I like to say that we had our guys as prepared as possible to know they were ready for every situation. Oh, that's great. And then uh, before we get into the Marv band and, and how you how you're using that stuff, uh, which is what something that you created, I'd love to to hear two strike approach. Again, it's strikeouts are going way, way up. And, you know, there, there's a there's so many different ways to, to approach that. But you guys were obviously successful. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on teaching it. Uh, what guys you had use it? Was it a program wide thing that you guys used on on anything that you used or just your thought process on two strike approach. So um, I like it to be individual. It's not a cookie cutter approach, but um, I would say the best, my favorite two strike approach for guys. Um, I don't like a physical adjustment. I think if you need to make a physical adjustment with two strikes, you should make that physical adjustment um, 
in an OO count. I think if there's something you have to do to be more consistent to barrel up balls, then you should have done that from the start. So we try to make sure our guys are in good position to hit, moving correctly, um, that they're um, what they would normally do in a two-strike approach. They're already there from the start. And talking to different pitching coaches, Jason Kelly, one of the best, if not the best, throughout the game of baseball, uh, will tell you that nothing scares him more when a guy can leave the yard with two strikes. So I never want our guys to try to force the ball on the ground, just try to force cheap contact. I always want them to get their swing off to be able to leave the yard. And what that's going to do is going to allow us to see more pitches. It's going to allow us to get on base more. We're going to walk more because they know we can be dangerous with two strikes. So from my standpoint, I want my teams to be able to leave the yard with two, but also be efficient enough um, in their swing, in their movement pattern, in their approach to um, keep the strikeouts low, barrel accuracy high. And if they need to make a mental adjustment with their timing windows, then that's fine. But you shouldn't be able to tell from a physical standpoint that, that they've made an adjustment. Awesome. Well, before you go, I, I, I want to hear just your thoughts on uh, movement prep stuff. I'm, I'm sure that you work that into the routines. You talked about routines quite a bit today, but how are you using Marv and, and the, and the Marv bands for movement prep? I know <laughs> you guys putting out uh, Nolan Arenado doing some movement prep stuff with the Marv bands is always a good thing. Uh, but uh, I'd love to hear just your thoughts on how you're using it uh, to be able to, and most of the time I think it's, it's working underneath and keeping your direction towards uh, center, which is what we use those for um, with movement prep too and top hand stuff, uh, working it underneath. But uh, anything and, and everything that you want to talk about with Marv, let's, let's knock that out. And I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, 100%. So with the Marv band, it's, it's always good when you're trying to make a change in a movement pattern to change the implement. Um, because when you pick up a bat and you're trying to change something, you normally, your brain goes back to what you've always done before. So when you change the implement and your brain doesn't really recognize, um, what you're doing, then you're able to actually make some different moves and you're able to feel that movement. And then you're able to better translate it to the, uh, to your normal swing and translate it to the game. So. With the Marv band, um, of course, the number one move is the backside move, the trigger. Um, you see way too many guys frontside dominant in college baseball, especially with two strikes. And um, the, the, I would say a good majority of our guys hammer that backside move out just as a – and it's, doesn't, it's nothing crazy. It's not 15 reps. It's just making it a um, – making the mental – note of okay this is what starts my swing and just hammering a few reps in every day goes a long way um and then actually whenever they make a bad swing they can kind of feel their, their themselves getting to their front side too early in the swing and then they go back to okay what's that mark move understanding that feel translating that feel into their routine and then um into practice and in the game of course and then from uh Outside of that backside move, we will have a lot of our guys work on it with direction, kind of how that form um, is in line with the pitch. So, for example, if I can turn sideways here, when guys land, um, a lot of guys will land 
with their hand outside their forearm, which will create this pattern in a swing, right? Um, going around the ball a lot. And then if guys' hands are tucked too far behind them, then in order to start their swing, they normally have to fly open. And I don't know how many high school games I've been to where you hear the third base coach yelling, you're flying open, you're, you're hearing the dad yell it. And I just want to just tell the hitter, like, hey, man, if you get your hands and you'll get this form in a more neutral line, you can take the same swing you're taking. They're just in such a bad setup that it's, it's hard to recover from. So making sure guys are landing um, in a neutral line with their form where they can have good direction um, with the mark band. I, I don't like guys to extend the arm. You'll see a couple of videos on social media people doing it the wrong way, but I just like where it's like a tap, where this elbow is working up, um, you're standing under the shoulder, trying to get no tension um, in the lead side. And that's one of the, that's, that's one of the main ones we'll use. And then the uh, stick move is really good and not only good for training the backside move, but kind of feeling the lower half work and kind of, it's, it's the last one the guys in one way do. And it kind of leads right into the, their T work or their flip work and it's kind of getting the whole body going and then they're ready to step in and go. Well, awesome. Well, Caleb, uh, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. And, uh, number one, really excited to see where you land and the impact that you're going to make, uh, where that, wherever that is. And, uh, for those wanting to get in contact with you, I'll put your website, uh, Twitter and, uh, email address down below. So all they have to do is click on it, uh, along with the Marv Vans website, which highly, highly, recommend for any of the any of you who are wanting uh, some some really good prep work stuff and arm care all kinds of things but uh, I'll leave the, I'll you know I'll mute myself and and get out of here but I'd love to hear just anything and everything that you'd like to leave our coaches before you go again it's a pleasure uh, really getting to to chat it up with you today and listening really to your presentation and I got to just sit back and, and watch which was cool uh, but is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go just a couple things one uh one of the main mistakes I made when I was younger, which I'm still, I'm only 26, but when I was fresh out of playing was when I try to work with guys, I really try to concentrate on their path. I was trying to, and I would get really good and guys would get really good off flips and even MVP. But as soon as they would go to the game, it wouldn't translate as much. And then um, I started, started taking a step or two back and looked at cause versus effect. And, um, one of the main reasons I've seen some of my guys had success is the adjustments they've made in their setups. And I've learned a lot of that from Doug and Craig and um, Jeff Edwards and guys like that. And just kind of how guys are set up and their upfront actions um, translate a lot into the swing and just getting in a good position to hit where if you're in a good position to hit and you're right mentally, most guys have good hands and you don't have to work on the path as much as possible uh, from a movement pattern standpoint. And uh, just the last thing I want to leave everybody with is we've got a couple new products coming out at Marv. Um, we've got more of a, a product with an adjustable band, very similar to crossover symmetry. Um, it'll have wrist straps along with the handles. Um, it'll be adjustable from 10 to 70 pounds, but a lot, a lot cheaper than the crossover. We have a, uh, we have a plow ball coming out um, and it's, it's not like your traditional plow ball. It's uh, bigger and better. And I can't really go into much detail just yet, but that'll be out later on this summer. And then we've got a hitting aid um, that's coming out that I wouldn't put something out if I didn't 
hundred percent believe in it and then a hundred percent think a young kid could pick it up and automatically become a better hitter. So I can't get into too much detail on that just yet, but be looking out for this that this early this fall and uh I think it'll make a strong impact on a lot of hitters. I love it. Stay tuned. Caleb, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which could include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.